so it's Sunday. And it's kind of funny, uh, one thing that I did notice is, you know, Pat gave a word this morning, you know, and so did Krista, and I'm not saying that I nail what God's trying to teach me all the time, but, you know, it is not a coincidence that things seem to go hand in hand, you know. So, um, I know it's just good in my spirit when I hear that, or when I, when I see it, too. So, uh, you know, I kind of, I contemplated, you know, I'm not really a big guy as far as uh, stature. No, no, as far as, like, naming things, you know. So, I thought that I would name this sermon, because usually I don't. I just throw out my notes on the, uh, the internet, and that's it. But this one, you know, I think is starting over, you know. And for me, what that really means is, uh, is kind of reflecting back. Um, so what I thought is that I would, uh, I would just start. So here it is. Um, you know, many months ago, you know, I was kind of stuck in a spot. I mean, you know, last, last time I spoke, I, I got to speak about um, being on an island and how you needed the fellowship of fellow Christians, you know, to kind of get you where you needed to be back on the right path. Well, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand with this, with that. Um, but I was stuck, you know, I was stuck in this pit. And for a visual, you know, I would say it's, it wasn't that deep of a pit, but the only thing that I could see was just the sky. Um, maybe it was 15 feet or so, but the, the sides were slick and they were smooth. And I couldn't get my hand on anything. I couldn't get my foot on anything. And I just tried and tried and tried to pull myself up. And finally, somewhere in the middle of, like, self-pity and helplessness, you know, self-doubt, I just sat on the floor. And then I came to the conclusion that this pit might as well have been 100 feet deep because there was no way I was going to get out of it unless I went straight up, unless somebody came to save me, to pull me straight out of this pit. So, you know, as I just kind of sat there waiting to be saved, you know, there was a whole lot of conversation with God. Uh, it was all one-sided, mind you. <laughs> you know, it was all me talking to him. You know, mainly why me? You know, that's usually where mine starts. Um, that I didn't understand how I was in this position, and I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. Um, and I also decided at that point that you probably heard me say this before um, that it's a lot easier if God would do things my way all the time. Uh, my schedule, <laughs> you know, just everything that I needed or thought I needed, he would just do it immediately. He would be right there, right when I needed him, every single time. And I would see it. You know, the, the world we live in definitely is the here and now. You know, everybody wants something here and everybody wants it right now. No patience. And that's exactly how my conversations with God was. Um, you know, I, I made a little note here uh, that said, um, you know, it would be the world according to Chris. You know, and it sounds like it'd be okay world. But and then I asked the question, if it was the world according to Chris, would I even need a God then? You know, and I don't think so. I think if it was the world according to me, that I would be my own God. And I would actually regress to what I used to be. Um, so, you know, I, I, just, I just continue to question myself over and over again. And I did something that I never 
wanted to do. And it's something that the world looks down on. You know, the world we live in, it's always push forward, go forward, achieve. You know, retreat is something to look at as a failure, you know, to be despised upon. Um, But I did something else. I just decided I would just start over. You know, I wasn't going to let the identity of a failure be mine. You know, I love how the word says, you know, it's the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Well, I think with identities, we can get caught up to where the identity we have right now, you know, you think it was like that before and now, and it's always going to be like that when that's not what God says, you know. And praise God that I could start over because Jesus told me I could start over. I could start at square one, at the very first step. So that's what, that's what I did. Um, you know, I just, I started over. Um, so let's, let, everybody got their Bible, or some people probably do. If you do, uh, go to Mark 12, 28 through 30. And I'm going to just sort of read my, um, really the, the first scripture that God really drew me to. Um, and I'm going to give you two versions of it. I'm going to give you the, the uh, what is it, the NLT, and then also the message. Um, so if you guys are there, I'm going to read. It says, Jesus replies, or I'm sorry, I'll start at 28. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the discussion, and he realized that Jesus had answered so well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replies, well, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The message, I like how the message words, uh, the last part, it says, with all your passion, with all your prayer and intelligence and energy. And that was when I realized, you know, that I, I think I stopped at heart. You know, I just, I just stopped. You know, I knew that Jesus was my Savior. I mean, the proof is right here. Um, the proof is historically, um, it's, it's provable. And I knew that. So somewhere between passion and intelligence, I just stopped. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't have the passion that I had at one time. You know, and, and I don't know if I was blaming God or I was settling for just feeling like that. Um, so that was like my aha moment. When I was in fifth grade, I had a, uh, I must have been a social teacher. He, he said, at some point in life, you're going to get the aha experience. That's when like the light bulb goes on or the lightning bolt comes down and zaps you. That was like my aha moment. And I knew that I had to, had to step back and just start over and try to line things up again. So I was going through the process. You know, I'm going through the inventory of where I had got there, you know, and and I was fighting through things like feeling ashamed of what I had got myself into. And, you know, and it was one that I didn't feel like I dug myself into this pit. It felt like somebody pushed me off the edge and I just fell face first, you know. So it was hard to blame anybody. Um, so uh, that, was, that, was, that was the turning point. That's where I could finally say, you know what, going backwards and retreating 
isn't a failure. It isn't a sign of futility. Uh, it may be a sign of desperation because that's where I felt I was that at, you know. And I think it's funny that when you feel like that, how it just affects everybody. You know, it affects your friends. It affects your parents, your wife especially, the kids even. You know, they can see that you're on edge, you know, or whatever it is. I went through that for three months, basically a whole summer where I just could not enjoy anything. You know, it felt like the joy had been sucked out of my life, you know. But this scripture gave me the shot in the arm that I needed to start reevaluating where I was at. So, you know, and you know how you kind of log things in, you know, uh, experiences, and sometimes, you know, the Lord uses you to help somebody else out. The last probably three or four weeks, you know, I've had no fewer than five men, um, you know, just kind of confide in me, you know, about, about different things, about lack of joy, and, and, you know, yeah, they had faith, but they weren't really sure what it looked like anymore. And then I remembered what it was like to, to be in that pit, you know, and not sure, not real sure what my faith looked like at that point. So then I had to reflect it, on it. And that's where, you know, God really opened me up to a lot of, a lot of different things. Um, so, you know, I, one thing that I had to look at, though, was I had to know who Jesus was, you know. So I had to evaluate that in my head. I'm like, okay, I know he's the son of man or son of God. He was fully man, fully God all at the same time. I don't know how, you know, but the Bible says that we're only going to know in parts, right? <laughs> so that was part. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get any of that. That, um, that he died to save us. God loved us so much that he sent him to die for us so we would not have eternal separation from God. You know, so he sent his son to die for us. I knew that. And I also knew that to prove that even death couldn't keep him down, he came back from the dead, you know. And I don't think it was just to show Thaddeus or the doubting Thomas his hands and his feet. You know, it was to show a guy like me his hands and his feet too. Um, you know, so once I figured all that out, you know, and I realized that my foundation was good, but I needed to build upon that, you know, I, I, I realized that I left my mind and my soul and, and, and uh, my strength aside, and it was kind of out of my daily life, you know. I mean, I still had the conversation with God often, but it was, like I said, it was all one-sided. So um, I started refocusing all that, and that became my daily focus, was the, my dedication to God. Um, you know, we, in e-group, we really had a couple really good conversations. We were talking just about the Bible, you know, and talking about how, you know, well, let, me, let me back up because I, I think this is a good point, you know. I, I've already asked Pat this, and I asked Pastor Jim this too, you know. You know, and so I went to my two pastors, and, and, and Pat had already answered it, you know. I said, man, where is it that you stop having to walk out your, your message that you have to deliver? And, and Pat says, well, you know, it's just, 
this is just different for you, different for me. Pastor Jim said the same thing. So I thought, man, you know what? You guys are no help to me at all. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, Lord, when? And I don't know when. And I think it's really similar to it, though, because, you know, I have to walk all this stuff out. Um, and it allows me to, to focus on my daily life. And I realized that the Bible is my example. But it's just not a reference. Before, I was using it like a reference. You know, it was my, if I had a question, I would go to it and I'd look and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the right answer. But I wasn't doing it passionately. Um, you know, there's, there's a time where, you know, the Bible sometimes it not, isn't a burden, but it's a, it's a duty. You know, you feel like it's a duty, you have to read it. But eventually, it turns into a devotion. So instead of having to do it, it's something you do out of love. Um, raising kids, I think, are the same way. <laughs> Sometimes they are full-on duty, but the devotion, the love that you get out of that is, is amazing, you know. Um, so that's where I was with, with the Bible, I think. I think I had forgot about the passion behind it, about the life that was in it, and about how I needed to rely on it, not just as a reference point, or, or uh, you know, just some, some form of wisdom that I could grasp from it. Instead, it had to walk. Just like I had to walk out this particular thing in my life, the Bible has to walk for me. I have to be able to see the examples and, and understand what they are, but also realize that there's not one thing that I haven't went through that these anointed people hadn't gone through too that God hadn't put them through that just for their sake, but also for mine. So I would have an example to follow. So, um, so I realized that, uh, you know, at that point, once I started to, to meditate, you know, I, I noticed that I was getting better. I was meditating on, on God's word, you know, and I was starting to live it, and I was starting to, to breathe it, so to speak, is finally was coming alive to me once more, you know. But it took me three months to sleep normally. You know, I, I mean, I would, I would get two or three hours a night sleep, the worst sleep ever, you know. I had issues with my elbows, you know, because I swing a hammer all day long, you know. And, I mean, that would keep me up. And, you know, I just had this uneasiness where I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, it was a big shoe. I mean, it was going to drop. At least that's what I thought. Um, so it took me three months, over 90 days, just to get rid of that feeling. I was constantly on edge. My kids, you know, Kristen, I mean, everybody was always asking me what was wrong. And really, nothing was really wrong that I could put my finger on. So I would just say, oh, it's just work or whatever it is, you know. Um, but it wasn't until I realized that that was it, that my focus was off that I needed to have the Bible be living and breathing to me. So and then I found another scripture that I, um, that I really, really feel that God really uh, led me to, and it's 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. And I'm going to give you two versions of this also. I'm going to give you the NLT again. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. 
the message is kind of cool how it puts it too. It says every part of Scripture is God-breathed. So it's alive. You know, and this, this particular um, translation really speaks to me. It's, it's, and it says it's useful one way or the other, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion. And that's really what, what I had going on. It was correct, it's used to correct our mistakes and train us to live God's way. But if I just read 316 without reading 17, I think I'd be doing you guys a disfavor. It says, 17 says, Through the word we are put together and shaped for the task God has for us. So through all that, God's shaping me for these tasks ahead. You know, I get so narrow-minded and so on target with what I have to do instead of what I should be doing, that I forget. And that's where the self-pity kind of comes in, you know, like, man, I'm doing everything that you asked me to do, but I don't get where it's going. And in 17, he says that he's shaping us for the task that God has for us. Um, And after I had read that, you know, then I realized not only for three months had I not slept well, not really ate all that well, um, not really been a great father or a husband, um, but it also it took me three months to repent. That was probably the most disappointing part of all. It took me three months to realize that I was just flat out wrong with how I was approaching my relationship with God. It took me three months to be humble and admit it, you know, the disappointment of failing God is far greater than the disappointment than failing my wife. Um, but how many of you guys know that, you know, God isn't surprised with our failures, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, I was, I was talking with somebody about going backwards, you know, and having to redo things over, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, it was all me because I don't think God leaves things behind and forgets about them like me, you know. I mean, I'm looking for my hunting boots the other day, and I can't figure them out. I'm pretty sure God knew where they were, you know. (laughs) And if he's got a pair of hunting boots, he probably knows where his are too. So, yeah, so, and and here's the biggest thing for me. You know, I think the last verse that I read is that God is a proactive God. You know, he's not an inactive God. You know, I I put a little notation here, is as I write this, I know with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength that I desperately need a proactive God and that I have had one all along and it's me that was inactive, not him. It was me that didn't have, you know, the focus correct. You know, I'm talking about little things. I'm talking about like parking spots, your shirt color that you're going to wear for the day. I'm talking about advising God in every little thing you do because he cares about every little thing that you do. I mean, and I'm one of those guys that I don't need your help until I need your help. Because I'm not going to ask for it until I got to have it, you know. However, God is not like that. God wants us to bring the littlest things to him. The silliest things. You know, I read a story about uh, this one lady. She, uh, well, she wasn't a lady at the time. She was 16. You know, God was really working in her life, and all of her friends were in her church group, you know, and they are going to a concert that had been sold out for months. And she says, she says I know we're going to go there, and we are going to have God's favor, and we're going to get there, and we're going to go to this concert. We're like, yeah, right. And there's like nine of them. So they pull up, 
you know, the concert started. They walk over to the tickets, no, no tickets. They go to will call, no tickets, you know. All, their fr- all of her friends start bickering, you know, saying we just wasted three hours drive to get here. And then somebody in back says, hey, uh, do you guys need nine tickets? <laughs> and she says, uh, yeah, we do. She says, well, I have nine tickets, but these are kind of special tickets. They're backstage pass tickets. And you get seating up front. And they brought them, like if this was the front row, they brought them five feet inside the very front row. And there were only nine seats. And they were seated in those nine seats. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's you know, if you ask with the right heart, God is going to deliver, you know. Um, it's about God being bigger that day. You know, this girl's prayer and her faith, who knows what it did for those other eight kids. Maybe, like, like with Chelsea, you know, God got real this fall, you know. He became bigger. She realized that it just wasn't something that her dad and mom were talking about. It was something that is real, and God gets his point across. I mean, that's one thing I'll say about God. You know, he's got to hit me with a hammer or a two-by-four or a four-by-four. He's going to get his point across, you know. Um, some of you guys only need a passing. You know, you know, just say, hey, that's not right. Me, I need a, <laughs> you know. So um, so anyway, so yeah, so that whole inactive thing was was definitely me. Um, so, hold on one second. I have to write out everything because I'm like, like, well, I don't know if Pastor Pat said this, but Pastor Jim the Butterfly, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so anyways. So, so um, you know, so this, this week, though, I, I kind of, you know, I really had to dig deep just to, just to kind of get to where I was to see how I had reconnected with God, you know? And I, I can say that... Um, I would say this, that the blessings that God has for you are so much more evident when your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength is in that spot. You know, um, you know I talked about the littlest things like the color of a shirt, uh, a job interview. You know, those are big things, you know. But God wants you to, to take care of the little things. Um, you know, next week we're going to talk about some some. I thought I was supposed to speak about this, what we're going to do next week, this week. Um, but then God really laid me on, laid this on my heart to speak about. But we're going to speak about God's blessings next week. I'm going to speak about having favor in the Lord and what it looks like, um, how to receive it, but more importantly, how to live it. Um, I think that this really tells you, or God really tells you about what is important to be focused on. So as a warm-up, I want you guys to, uh, to turn to Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And a lot of people will know the, uh, the B attitudes is what they're called. And I am going to read you strictly the message version of this. So it says, uh, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed 
a hillside. So this is the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. This is probably one of the most prolific sermons that he had. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, so the disciples, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. So all the while, when I was in the pit, and I was desperate in despair, that's where God wanted me. He wanted me at the end of my rope. So finally, there was less of Chris and more of God. And he says, you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. I mean, whether it's a companion, you know, it's a job, you know, whatever that is that's lost. He says, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you, by God. He says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more or no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You know, he continues, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and he's drink and the best meal you've ever ate. You're blessed when you care. At that moment of being careful, F-U-L-L, you'll find yourself cared for. He also says you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart, Put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. I think the first verse and that verse were the two biggest ones for me. You know, it wasn't until I got right inside that I felt like I could be in the world that I felt like was persecuting me and be okay with it. Um, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And not only that, count yourselves blessed every time you put or you're put down or thrown out or speak or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort for them. And they are uncomfortable. So when God gives you truth to speak and it upsets people, it's because they're, it's too close. It's, it's uncomfortable for them. I think that's the coolest thing about God's word is, you know, it's so powerful. And the unrighteous man thinks it's offensive. But how many church people here have been offended by another Christian? So that should, that should give you a check and a balance right there. If you're offended by somebody, maybe it's you that aren't right. You know, the offense, you know, Jesus tells you to start over, tells you to repent. But instead, a lot of times we hold on to our offenses. It doesn't matter if you're saved or not saved, you know. Uh, so it goes on, and then uh, we'll be all done with this. But you can, uh, you can be glad when it happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. So when you're persecuted and you don't like it, God likes it. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. 
so, you know, I, I realize that times are really, really hard uh, in a lot of different ways, you know, with the job market, how it is, you know, and economic. But you know what? I think those things just bring down our spirituality. They bring down our connection to God. Um, Barry Barbonell, whenever I call him, he always says, I always say, hey, Barry, what's going on? He goes, man, I am blessed and highly favored. And I used to always think, brown noser. But you guys are all blessed and highly favored. You know, the righteous man has favor. Um, for us to, to encompass that, though, you have to have your, your spirit right. Holy Spirit's got to reside in you. You know, you have to welcome it, conversate with it. You know, the, the words have to walk. The Bible has to walk. So that means you got to be in it. Uh, so next week, that's going to be your, uh, your homework, is to think about the things that, that you've gotten favor in, the blessings that you have. I mean, there's going to be some obvious ones. I mean, I'm blessed with a great wife, fantastic kids, you know. I mean, that's just a good starting point, you know. And even if they weren't fantastic, I would still be blessed because God, God's, God's word says that, that, you know, he works everything to his glory. So our perception of what's good and what's bad, once you realize that, even our hardest thing, like Haiti, to wrap your mind around when somebody says, Chris, if there's a God, how does that stuff happen? You know, and then to come back with them and say that, you know, God loves you just like he loved all those people that died. <laughs> you know, and if you're not sold out for this, how can God use you? How can God use you to spread the word. You know, in that Sermon on the Mount, the, after the, uh, the Beatitudes, it talks about salt and light. You know, about having a light at the top of a hill. And he doesn't expect you to put it out, to cover it up. You know? And I think, I think we have to be sold out like that. We have to have that light on us. You should be able to walk in a room and know that you're different. And hopefully people can see that you're different somehow. You know, so in that note, um, I really, uh, you know, we're going to, we are going to um, have the elders, oh, I don't know, do you want to do it in back? Is that what you want to do? Okay. So we're going to, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have the kids come on in and we're going to uh, just put, lay hands on them, you know, just real quick uh, as they're walking by, you know. Just more, more of his peace, more of his love, you know, just to edify them. And then after the kids, we're going to have the adults follow. And uh, anybody that's an elder or, you know, prayed up, you guys can go to the back. But while I have a captive audience, I do want, want you guys to realize this, that um, the starting point, though, was, was Jesus Christ. You know, it, it's so clear um, that he was different than everybody else. He was the only man, God, that claimed on earth that he was God. Muhammad didn't do that. Uh, Buddha didn't do that. Uh, Confucius didn't do that. He was the only one 
that said that he was God. So it sets him apart. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. The word says that nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. You know, he offers all these kids and all you adults a gift. Gives you a gift of salvation. He says that all you have to do is call on his name and you'll be saved. You know, if your foundation doesn't have that, if it doesn't have a clear base to build on, you know, you can go through life in futility. You can go through life without a, uh, <laughs> without aim. And the worst thing that could happen too is you could, uh, you could die and not go to heaven and not see the loved ones that have accepted Christ. You know. So that's that's the. Uh, <laughs> that's really distracting. I love that little Jillian. She's awesome. So, on that note, go ahead. There's three things that we want to tell you before we pray. We're going to pray for the kids, and we want to pray for the adults. Maybe it's just as easy if you come up here um, after the kids are done. God wants to impart to you a greater sense, a greater revelation, a greater knowing of his love. So a father's love impartation for everybody. It's, it's the foundation that everything has to be built on if you're going to walk victoriously. The second thing that we think the Lord wants is for our passion for holiness to grow. Holiness is to be set aside, not a part of the world. God is holy. He's totally set aside from anything contrary to his character and his nature. And the third thing is we got a word last week about this rain, that the Lord is going to rain down on us. It's good rain. And some of us have an umbrella. At the very least, take the umbrella down so that you can receive. At the best, turn it upside down and stand in it. Okay? All right. So we're going to pray for the kids. And then if you all want to get prayed for, then come up. And we would love to pray those things over each and every one of you. Okay, kids. Everybody look at Miss Teresa. Everybody looking? Okay. I want you all to hold your hands out. What's our scripture verse right now? Anybody know? Kaya? Want to see our scripture verse? God created a pure heart in you. Give me a new spirit that is faithful to you. Amen. We've been talking about our heart buckets. I want everybody's hands out. you to open your heart bucket right now. We want hearts open to receive, just like we've been learning, right? Close your eyes, and our elders are just going to come by, and you're going to just feel them lightly touch you like this, okay? All right, so I need you to be still. Second through fifth graders, be still and know that I am God, right? Just like we talked. While you're waiting and been teaching the kids about their hearts. And that in order for our hearts to receive, our hearts have to be open. Because if our hearts are closed, if you were to pour water 
try to pour water into our hearts or pour God's blessings down into our hearts, they would just fall away. So open your hearts and prepare your hearts right now for God to pour, pour his blessings into each one of you. All you children, not only are the elders going to lay their hands on the adults, but because you guys have been studying and knowing all about your hearts and learning about your hearts, I want all of you children to lay hands on these adults too. So you can go and and you can go to your parents, but you, you can also go to somebody that's not your parent, okay? And I want you to lay hands on them. And here's the best prayer you can pray. Are you listening? This is the best prayer you can pray. More Lord. Okay? More Lord. All right? So you kids, you're, you're the prayer team now. All right? So start praying.
We give you the highest praise. We give you.